How is it going, Bears fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Bear Down Podcast, where we talk everything Bears every day of the week. I am your host, Chris Malpe, and today I am joined with my co-hosts, Parsh Shaw and Jalen McClinton. How's it going, fellas? Doing good, you know. Out here recording another Bears video another day. Always pushing out content for you guys. I'm doing great, you know, trying to enjoy the last week before I get out of school. So, yeah, that's about it. And we are joined today by a very special guest. He's the longest tenured Bear in Chicago Bears history, played 16 seasons in Chicago, also the career leader in games played with 245 games. He's a graduate of Duke, and he is the Ed Block Courage Award winner of 2014. Welcome to the show, Patrick Manley. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you guys and uh, talk a little Bears while there's really no real offseason going on, but it's pretty fun to chat with you guys. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. We're going to be breaking down everything Bears today with Pat and also talking a little bit about his time on the team, obviously. So let's start right here, Pat. I don't think there's any other good spot to start, but you're the Chicago Bears career leader in games played and you're the longest tenured player in team history. What does it mean to you holding these accolades for such a storied franchise that just hit its 100th season in the league? Well, that's kind of what's neat that it just hit the 100 season. We had that 100-year celebration. And to be around all the great players uh, that were invited to that celebration was, was super cool with all the Hall of Famers there. Um, and then just to have uh, a record in the record book that uh, hopefully won't be broken for a while is, is kind of like one of those moments where you kind of pat yourself on the back and you're like, holy crap, I did it. I played that long. I hold a Bears record. Like, Played a lot more games than Steve McMichael, Walter Payton, Olin Cruz, and, you know, some of the greats that have gone through there. But being a long snapper, guys, I think that's the only thing I could maybe put on the record books is, <laughs> is longevity. That's about it. So I'm, I'm happy I did it. You know, you look back in your career uh, as you've been away, what I've been away, seven, eight years now, that um, you think about all the fun times and great times, and you're like, wait, I played in the NFL for 16 years. Holy crap, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is awesome, especially with all at the same team. Um, yeah. You were obviously part of the 2006-2007 Super Bowl team. That game didn't turn out too well, but how special was it to play on such a big stage? You know, it was kind of just the whole year was special. You know, to play on that big stage was great. To lose it was, was unfortunate, but we had just an amazing locker room, amazing guys, made amazing leadership, uh, great coaches, great training, training staff, just a good building. And we had a good building most of the time I was there, but uh, just to you look back on it, that whole year was just a great journey. We were 13-3 and three and then, you know, beat the Saints the way we did in the NFC Championship and to go down to Miami and play the Colts and unfortunately lose is, is a little boy's dream, though, just to be able to say you played in the Super Bowl, to see all the media hype for the two weeks leading up to that game is, is you can't believe there's that many people covering the sport of the NFL because it's just that one game and the two teams and they're all there for two weeks, you know, even talking to long snapper, even talking to the punter and kicker. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was a dream come true, but you know, walking off that field and seeing the confetti flying and knowing the Colts won, that was a little disappointing. Definitely mm-hmm. for, for a person who didn't really get to experience the best football, I just saw how my parents, you know, reaction was, it definitely, mm-hmm. that definitely had to hurt. So uh, you played alongside some incredible, incredible special teamers and future Hall of Famers and Devin Hester and Robbie Gold. What was it like working alongside them on a daily basis? Uh, let's start with Devin Hester. Devin was one that when he walked in the building and you saw him on the practice field for the first time, you were like, oh my God, this guy is special. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just had that speed, that gear, uh, that, you know, we had some fast guys on the team. All the guys in the NFL are faster, are fast, but then when, 
he got the ball in his hands or you just saw him on the field, you're like, yep, he's faster than everybody else. And then he goes out his very first game against the Green Bay Packers, returns it for a touchdown, you know, a punt for a touchdown. You're like, okay, this kid is special. And he just kept kept being great. But what I loved about Devin is he worked his butt off. You know, he had the God-given ability to, to return kicks and see the field and make those cuts and have that speed. But the amount of times he sat out there uh, on the jugs machine catching kickoffs and punts and, and just working at his craft, uh, it, it showed. You know, that's why, why he ended up being as great as he is. And then Robbie Gold was another one. Robbie came in, was really raw, um, came in for a tryout, I think with like five or six other guys. And Brad Manor and I looked at each other and we're like, this kid's pretty good, but he's just raw. And Robbie, his greatest attribute is his hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a kicker, a special teams player, work as hard as him. And he still does, and that's why he's still playing and kicking at a very high level and still in great shape. And um, it just, I guess, the two biggest things about those two guys is how hard they work. And then, obviously, with God-given ability to get to where they were, but they were just fun to work with every day. Uh, great to call them friends. And I hope to God Devin Hester gets in the Hall of Fame. You would think that he would, you know. Uh, He should. (laughs) 20 total return touchdowns for him, and he was also just named to the NFL 100th anniversary all-time team. Pat, you also got to work alongside some of the greatest defenses in the history of the NFL in 2006 that included marquee names, you know, like Brian Erlocker, Lance Briggs, Charles Tillman. How special was that defense there in 2006? You know, I mentioned our locker room earlier, how close we were. Even that unit within, well, within itself was even closer. But what was amazing about these guys, guys, was they had fun, like ultimate fun playing football. You know, you think sometimes football is going to be hard and you got to go hit somebody and growl at them and do all that stuff. Brian Urlacher would light somebody up and just start laughing at them. <laughs> Lance Briggs laughed all the time when they played. I mean, they would laugh at each other when they made big plays. And Charles Tillman was right there with them, Mike Brown. Um, it was just fun to watch those guys work because they had fun doing it. You know, it wasn't going out to practice and, you know, they worked their tail off, but they smiled while they did it. And that just kind of was odd to me going through high school and college. It always seemed like you had to grind and have that growl on your face, but not these guys, man. They, they played differently. Uh, Jerry Angelo put together a, a great group of, uh, group of guys that, that all kind of had that same personality and it worked for us and they were fun to watch. I mean, they won a lot of football games for us. Unfortunately, our offense wasn't as good as they were, but did their job in 2006. Um, uh, had a really good year that year, but that defense was special. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. I was, I mean, I was a little bit older. I was, I was really young at the time, but I was still something yeah. to look back at all the time. Um, you wore jersey number 65 throughout your time in Chicago and also at Duke. Is there a deeper meaning to that number? No, I was at, well. I was 55. There's there's a meaning to the number. I was 55 in college, and then I was 75 in high school. So when I got drafted, uh, it was the last pick, what, in the sixth round. So there's a limited number of, of numbers you can pick from. So Tony Medlin, the equipment manager, sent me, I think, five or six numbers, four or five numbers, and said, which one do you want? And I said, you know what? Let's go with 65 because it was available, one. But two, because I had 75, 55, and 65. I just thought it would be neat to have. Interesting. Five is the last number for all three for all three levels. And it just uh, it was kind of really – I only took it because it was the only one available. The only other one I was going to take was 70. But I just didn't think that looked right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, my next question is: You you went to Duke uh, for college, and that's a school that's typically known for their basketball. After mm-hmm. doing some research, uh, we found out that you were a student at the same time as NBA players like Shane Batty and Elton Brand. Were you a big basketball fan in college? 
huge. So that was my favorite sport in high school. Like I played basketball and football. And just a quick story is that, you know, when the football team would be up in the weight room working out and kind of overlook the, uh, our gym floor, uh, the basketball, mm-hmm. basketball teammates would yell out and like, we need one, you know, during the off season. And I'd be the first one sprinting out of the weight room <laughs> to play basketball. So I was a huge basketball fan. Um, and then to see how, be able to watch some of those guys play was great. And the other one that was there was uh, Grant Hill. Grant oh, Hill, man. Uh, my sophomore year lost, I believe, to Arkansas in the finals. Um, or was that my freshman year? Whatever it was. But really cool story about this, guys. Um, Steve Wojciechowski, who's now the head coach at uh, Marquette. Uh, Jeff Capel, who's now the head coach at Pitt. There were two players there at the time, and they were dorm mates of mine. And I got to play pickup ball with the team every now and then during the uh, off season. So I got to play with Grand Hill and, and uh, Cherokee Parks and all those great teams, and that was that was fun. That was uh, cool to watch those guys play. And like I was talking about Devin Hester when he got on the field, how much faster he was than everybody. I could not believe how much better Grant Hill was than all the other guys that were on that team. He was just that great, and it's unfortunate he had as many injuries as he did in the NBA because I thought he would have had a great career. He did have a good career, but would have had a really great career in the NBA if he didn't. But, yeah, it was fun to be a Duke with those guys. Absolutely. So earlier on, you mentioned how much fun those teams in 06 had. And something great about the Bears now, you know, with Matt Nagy there, is a lot of players talk about that culture that he brings into the locker room. That's a lot of fun. So looking at the Bears' most recent history, you know, in 2018, they make the playoffs, finishing 12-4. and Obviously a little bit of a down year in 2019, but they look back, they look to bounce back uh, here in 2020. So what are your thoughts on the current team that they've built? Yeah, I expect them to bounce back. You know, that, that first year Matt Nagy got there was kind of one of those years where everything just came together. You know, there weren't that many injuries. Everybody played well. Um, and like you said, it's it's cool because I've talked to a lot of the guys. They talk about Matt Nagy like we did Lovey Smith. Like we just really respected him, loved going into Hallis Hall every day and working. And I think that's very important because it's a lot of long hours at Hallis Hall and you want to be there. And he makes it fun and he makes guys care about each other, guys care about the coaching staff. Um, and I'm very happy to hear that. You know, obviously last year ending up eight and eight was not what they wanted. I thought they came into the year a little, little cocky and arrogant. Guys, you know, kind of running their mouth a little bit during training camp. How great they're going to be, and I, I, I think you can do that to a point because you need to be confident, but you also need to be realistic and say, hey, listen, you still got to put the hard work in because uh, it took a lot of hard work to get twelve to twelve and four. But their defense, I think, again can be that strength, and if they can stay, uh, you know decent with their injuries uh they can they can definitely get back to the playoffs and i can't wait to watch uh this team play and then i'm, I'm sure you guys are going to ask about uh mr trubisky and nick Foles, and i'm really interested to see and hopefully they can get on the practice field sooner than later with what's going on right now to, to let that competition start and let the best player you know win the job yeah let's i we're all looking forward to that hopefully yeah. captain stuff can start back on time mm-hmm. um so Going back to your childhood, uh, you were born in Atlanta, Georgia, and grew up in a time where Deion Sanders was very popular down there. Um, did you grow up as a Falcons fan? I did not. I did not at all. Um, so down in Atlanta, back when I was like I was born in '75, the the, you know, the '80s Falcons were terrible. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And then down south, it's really an SEC country. So you you pick your SEC school, which you're a fan of, and then you mm-hmm. kind of watch the uh, the NFL. But the Falcons just weren't good enough consistently to really be hardcore fan. So I was actually more of a Georgia Bulldog fan than an NFL fan. But when Deion Sanders got there, yeah, he, he, he raised the, uh, the level of interest quite a bit with Jerry Glanville and the, and those guys. 
Um, but a cool story about Deion Sanders growing up as a fan is, is my rookie year we're playing. Uh, I can't remember who he was with. I just know it was him as the returner, as the punt returner, and I actually got to I tackled him. Oh and I'm man! On top of yes, so well. It wasn't like an open field tackle that was sweet or anything like that. It was more of me and another player were coming down, and Dion didn't like contact, so he just kind of ducks, you know, and buried before he got hit hard. So I ended up getting there first and landing on him. So it goes in the stat sheet as a tackle by Patrick Manley on Dion Sanders. But what I did at the end is when I'm getting up, I, like, rub his back, like, oh, my God, this is Deion Sanders. Holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> and that was just one of my first fan moments as a player in the NFL. It was like, I'm – I'm really on the field with this guy. Holy, that's Deion Sanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so talking more or a little bit about your childhood, uh, we touched earlier on your time at Duke uh, University that's very prestigious. How important were academics for you growing up as a student athlete? Uh, big time. Uh, my mom and dad pressed it quite a bit. Um, ended up going to a, like a private Catholic high school, just kind of chasing um, that education. And... When I took my four visits for college, I went Boston College, University of Georgia, who I was a big fan of, Duke in North Carolina. And I have, I have an older brother who played at Notre Dame, who's five years older. So he went through the recruiting process uh, as a highly recruited player, uh, much more so than I was coming out. But I kind of understood what the how the process went. And when I was going through it, my dad gave me some great advice that the bells will go off in your head where you fit. He meant that by like the campus, the whole school community and mm-hmm. duke was my last visit and i'm like oh the bells are going off my head and mostly the reason why was because academics just to be able to walk that campus and at the end of four years say i'm a duke graduate um, that that was prideful for me to, to be able to go there and get that degree and i just I, I wasn't planning on playing in the nfl i just thought that if i could get that piece of paper from duke maybe that would open some more doors for me and uh loved my time there it's a special place yeah, so, you know, we recently spoke about Deion Sanders, Robbie Gold, Devin Hester, uh, and we recently had Pat Scales on the show, which is kind of ironic, the, the uh, I guess, the heir to your seat there uh, as the long snapper. And when he came on, you know, he didn't have much to say to this question, but uh, he told us he didn't really grow up watching special teamers in specific. But uh, do you have a favorite special teamer or a favorite player growing up? Um. Uh, so I did watch special teams because, like I, I mentioned, my brother uh, went to Notre Dame, and he came back after his freshman year trying to get on the field sooner. So we were out in the front yard long snapping, and I was going into eighth grade. So I kind of took pride in being a long snapper. So I would watch NFL long snappers, and at that time, most of them were linemen, backup linemen, centers, linebackers, tight ends, those backup guys that did it. So I, I watched them quite a bit. Like Harper LaBelle was the long snapper for the Falcons. Adam Shriver was the um, came in after him for the Falcons, Dale Hillis, like all these guys, Dan Turk. So I, Trey Junkin. So I actually became a fan of all the long snappers. There wasn't one that I liked. I just tried to watch as much of them as I could and try to help me become better at my craft. Mm-hmm. And then as far as, um, my favorite NFL player, you know, I was 10 in 1985 and that's obviously when the bears were the bears. So the Falcons being terrible, the bears were on every weekend. You read about them, saw them on, TV shows and all that stuff. So the Bears were my favorite team, and obviously it was Walter Payton. And that guy was just, you know, every time, every every Sunday he played, and they showed highlights, you know, the following night or the uh, Monday, uh, it was just, it was the Walter Payton show. And that guy just, he's, he was he was unbelievable. 
he was fun to watch in the league for sure. Um, so after your time in the league uh, ended, you created Long Sniper, Long Snapper IPA. How did that journey begin? <laughs> I like cold beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I just always thought the name Long Snapper would be a cool name for a beer. You know, if you're sitting in the bar and you're like, hey, bartender, I'll take another Long Snapper. And I've just mentioned that to a few friends. I'm like, run with it. Try to get it worked out. So I, I kind of sat on it for a couple of years and waited for the right opportunity to come around. And I have a good buddy who owns Timothy O'Toole's, the O'Toole's franchise. And I kind of balanced the idea off of him. And he said, do you want to go big? They're like a big beer maker. Do you want to go to somebody local, somebody you trust, blah, blah, blah. So he kind of gave me the idea to talk to Tighthead Brewery, which is in Mundelein, Illinois, which is about six minutes from my, from my house. Um, and I frequent there quite a bit and, and purchased their product and drank it and got a chance to meet Bruce, the owner, and uh, pitched the idea to him and sat down with his beer maker. And um, we came up with Long Snapper IPA, and it's it's a darn good beer. And what's kind of neat, guys, it takes three weeks to brew it. And after three weeks, after we got done, uh, when he said he was going to brew it, I went over to his the brewery at like 1030 on a Wednesday morning. And he's like, hey, come on over. It's, uh, it's ready to be tasted. And he hadn't tasted it yet either. He likes just to brew his beer, and he trusts his craft that it's going to be pretty good. And he pours a little taster, and you know, I've got like a hat on sitting on one side of the bar, and my eyes are looking down, like, "Come on, this stuff better be good. This better be good." Yeah. And we both take a sip, and we look up at each other, and we're like, "This is pretty damn good." <laughs> so uh, it worked out well, and uh, it's it's just they brewed a great beer. And unfortunately, with what's going on with this pandemic, that it didn't get a chance to take that next step that we had out there to be playing, getting into golf courses, a bunch of other bars and all that stuff. But once we get through all this, we'll get back on that plan and hopefully it'll be in uh, more people's hands. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So um, my next question is one, one of the best things about playing football in Chicago is playing um, in a cold, especially in Soldier Field. What was it like playing alongside Michigan? Oh, alongside Lake Michigan, excuse me, when, when during the winter? <laughs> um it's something it took a while to get used to. I remember the first very cold game that we had, they were playing the Packers in 1998 and growing up down South, I wasn't used to that, that cold like that. I remember having a sleet on half of my helmet because it was blowing sideways. And I remember wiping off my helmet. I'm like, Oh my God, this is cold. This is Chicago. And then just over the years of practicing at soldier, uh, excuse me, at Alice hall, you get kind of used to it. And then, it is kind of fun to see a team like Atlanta come out when we played against Michael Bick. He looked like he was done. He didn't want to be there. And we ran all over him and kicked their butt. Tampa Bay never won in Chicago for many, 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 many years because they didn't like playing in the cold. So it became an advantage for us and it became a little bit of a you know a mental advantage too. But being used to it and practicing it all the time as your team got more veteran, it just it seemed easy. But uh, there's some pretty cool games in the snow against the Patriots. We had, I don't know, four, four inches of snow, wind blowing like crazy. And unfortunately, Tom Brady and I think it was Wes Welker ripped our, you know what. <laughs> but uh, there have been some fun games there. But it's, yeah, it's something you have to get used to. And once you do, you can use it to your advantage. Yeah, so, you know, you might have been reading off our script earlier. Who knows? But you brought up, you know, Foles and Trubisky. Obviously, yeah. the Bears send a fourth-round pick over there to get Foles. Over 11,000 career passing yards, uh, Super Bowl LII champion and MVP, uh, Pro Bowler. ton of accolades there for him. Who do you think wins that quarterback competition? The in-house name with Trubisky or someone coming in with a lot of familiarity on the offense in Nick Foles? Yeah, that's, that's a tough question to answer because he's here for a reason, right? I mean, Mitch did not play well enough 
Uh, Matt Nagy's kind of hinted to us or let us know that Mitch is not good enough to cover or reading defenses right now, and you have to be able to do that in Matt Nagy's offense, and we've seen that. And Mitch just struggles with his offense not not knowing the defenses. It's going to be hard for Nick not getting as many on-field reps with all these times right now where they're missing OTAs. But him being a veteran and being in a uh, similar system in Philly and, and kind of understanding, or he's with him, what, Matt Nagy and KC is. He's been with Matt, so he knows the yeah. system uh, a little bit. So that's going to help him a little bit. But he's here for a reason. So, you know, we had an open competition between Jim Miller and Shane Matthews one year, and you kind of knew which way the coaches were leaning. You know what I mean? As a player, you kind of felt – that they had their favorite who they wanted to win the job. So it's, it's hard to do to, to um, not let your team know who your, who your favorite is, but he's here for a reason. That's what I'm saying. He's here for a reason. I, I think he's going to win the job. I really do. And I think it's because he's going to be able to master that offense a lot better and, and, and just be more of what Matt Nagy wants on the field. Makes sense. Oh, there you go. He's had, he's, he put his prediction out there. That's probably yeah. a little biased. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Long snapper is, uh, so going to my question, long snapper is commonly overlooked by most football fans. What was the toughest part about playing that position? Um, having to be perfect every time. Oh so, my. you know, you, you just can't miss. You re- you're not allowed to miss. If you miss, your miss has to be one that looks okay to, you know, a, an average observer's eye. You know what I'm saying? So you can't throw one over the head. You can't throw it in the dirt. Um, but just... What I did enjoy, though, was the process of trying to be perfect every time. So um, I'm kind of weird like that. <laughs> I enjoyed that, <laughs> but I wanted to be perfect, and I understood that, you know, you're going to fail every now and then, but just make sure the failure is not one going over the head or one going underneath his legs or something like that. But that's probably the hardest thing. And the second hardest thing is the transition from college to the pros because the rules are different. So in college, all they have to do is long snap, and they can just bust it down the field. They don't have to block anybody. On the pros now, you've got to snap and then vertical set, set back and block, you know, some some kid that was all SEC linebacker or some DN that's, you know, that's a stud that knows how to rush the heck out of the passer. So that's probably the second hardest part. But, but just trying to be perfect every day on field goals and punts was difficult. I think we got that same so, exact answer from Scales. Like, <laughs> to a pin. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, you obviously played, you know, 16 great years with Chicago. You played with a lot of... A lot of teammates, very diff- a lot of different teammates. You know, you mentioned like Devin Hester, Robbie Go, Earl Locker, and Briggs. What was your, who was your uh, favorite teammate uh, with the Bears? Uh, oh, who was your, excuse answer, me, who was yeah, it? it's, it's always it's uh, Olin Krutz. We came in together in 1998. Um, I think he was a third round draft pick, and I was a sixth round draft pick. And he always would make the line or the joke. He's like, "How does a little boy from Honolulu become friends with a kid from Marietta, Georgia?" <laughs> and it's like, you know, you, you get drafted in the NFL, and it's just, uh, we spent 13 years together, I think, and just, I think, grew an appreciation for each other, understanding uh, that we both like to work hard, we both enjoyed football, we both enjoyed being good teammates, uh, we both wanted to win, we both wanted to be the best we could, and just from there, we've become, we've become a good friends, we play quite a bit of golf, and we do the pre and post game show together on 6-7 and score, and enjoy our time doing that, and I think we've just kind of uh, just built a friendship that way, and I just really enjoyed playing with him because he's the hardest-working guy I've ever been around. I said Robbie was, but Olin is the hardest-working guy in Hallis Hall that I've ever seen. And, you know, nobody could outwork Olin, so it just kind of raised your game quite a bit. 
All right, I hate to bring this up, but I have to. Uh, obviously, we know how the 2018 season ended. Uh, I don't really like to talk about it. It's a sore subject for me, but but having you come on, obviously, this isn't a question we wanted to ask Pat Scales. But I was what... going to ask you, did you ask Pat Scales this question? No, we were like, we cannot ask about that at all. No way. Um, just being a special teamer, you know, obviously that was registered as a little bit of a block there, but, but what went wrong on that play? Um, it was a low kick. It definitely was a low kick. Um, he just pulled it a little bit and got quick is that's what I've heard from talking to other kicking experts and other kickers that have played. But, you know, in my opinion, it's a low kick and I've obviously been on a lot of, a lot of different field goal teams and, and worked with a lot of different kickers. But when you go back and look at the tape, the guy that blocked it, I believe, was six foot one, and I think only has about three inches of vertical off the ground when he's touching the ball. Oh man! And didn't get a whole lot of push on the offensive lineman. You know, you're always going to give up a little push because the offensive yeah. lineman's standing still and the other guy's coming right at him. But it was a low kick, and it was forty three yards, and should not have been that low. Um, and I think he just he looked like he got nervous, got quick, pulled it, and just hit it a little low, and that's unfortunate. And it's just stinks for the Bears, but. Um, I just wish he would have handled it differently the next day or whenever he went on the, uh, what was it, Today Show or whatever. (laughs) I would not have been happy with that one. If you would like to find more stuff from Patrick, uh, you can go over to his social medias, at Manley on Instagram and also at Patrick Manley on Twitter. And if you want to see him play, you can obviously just look up, you know, some highlights from uh, the longest tenured pair of all time. That was awesome, though. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. If you want more content from us, head over to BearedDown.com. We're posting columns, articles, and blogs on there every day. You can also follow our social media fan pages on Instagram. The links to those are down in the description. And you can also find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at BearedDown. Parshad, Jalen McClinton, was that our best interview of all time? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was awesome talking to him. I didn't get to watch him play as much as I would have hoped. Because I was much younger at the time, but uh, he just seems like a great guy to talk to. Great guy to have a cold beer with when I'm 21. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely probably one of our best. You know, obviously we're gonna have a lot of great more interviews, but definitely. That was awesome. Uh, we're super appreciative of Patrick for coming on. Uh, he had some great stories, and I'm sure you guys are gonna love this one if you listen the whole way through. Do us a favor before we sign off. If you are new to the channel. Do us a favor and subscribe. Click the bell for notifications whenever we post and like the video. It's been a pleasure to be your host. Once again, my name is Chris Malpe. Do us a favor, Bears fans. Continue to stay safe. And as always, bear down. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.